at that age, you don't really comprehend what's going on either. I know you you dealt with the brunt of it being a capable adult, whereas us young kids didn't. It was just mom's gone. She's in the hospital. She's sick. And then there was it always it always happens. At least it happened for us where there's that glimmer of hope where, oh, things are turning up, things are getting better, and then they just plunge really deep and you end up dealing with grief and loss. And it's a very long, grueling process. This is a touching story of Elle's life and how the trials as well as triumphs shaped her future. Even though it's only the first 10 years or so, there are a wealth of lessons to be learned and a whole lot of cuteness, too. We'll talk about how Elle was kicked out of her first nursery, some kagamemi entrepreneurial ventures, her devastating loss, how she overcame self-destructive behaviors, her fearless rescue, and much more. Join us on this enjoyable adventure Adventure, and don't forget to tell your friends about our free Art of Adulting guidebook and five-day challenge. Just go to poweradulting.com slash growth to get started. Plus, subscribing to the podcast is a huge help to us if you would be so kind. the Power Adulting Podcast, where we are hunting down the experiences, struggles, and golden nuggets of wisdom from our helpful guests. Stay tuned for an exciting weekly adventure that uncovers practical tips, tools, and tactics to get you from stuck in the muck to smashing your way through life's toughest roadblock. So now that we've discussed Dave and his amazing journey, maybe listeners would like to learn about my successes and my many, many slip-ups. Because there have <laughs> yeah. been quite a few. Yeah, I'm, I'm just sitting here trying to think of some positive things that I can say about you here, El. Oh, well. (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding. You know, but I I do kind of have to try really hard to remember the good things because Elle was a bit of a precocious little thing. You know, she came right out of the womb uh, running, uh, is what her mom used to say. Luckily, though, it was funny. Focus on the Family Radio back at that time came out with this. uh, They had a book that was written by Dr. James Dobson, uh, The Strong-Willed Child. And it came out just a little bit before Elizabeth was born, or Elle was born here. And thank goodness it did. We read that book from cover to cover to keep up with Elle. And then we we, we probably had to reread it every month or so, uh, just because she pulled some outrageous stunt after another uh, here. Sounds about right. <laughs> yes. You probably don't remember that because you were kind of in your own world there. But this... This girl was difficult from the start. The wonderful thing, though, is that they say the most troublesome, nonconformist kids turn out to be adults who change the world. And I definitely think uh, that that'll be the case with Elle, and especially mm-hmm. with the Power of Adulting podcast here, Elle. Thank you. I'm excited to jump into this journey, and I feel like my experiences were hard going through them, and some things I wish I could have seen beforehand, but, you know, that's life. You really just have to adapt and grow as you go, and hopefully, ideally, you'll end up on the other side stronger and more better off. And that's what I wanted to talk about was some of those experiences, since you so graciously talked about me and my health 
health, relationship, and career, and money adventures uh, here. Uh, Elle has similar things, but of course, since she was younger than I was, I can't quite categorize them into each section there. So I'm going to go more in a chronological order. So let's start off uh, in the early years, shall we? Let's do it. Okay. All sorts of cute stuff was happening back here. You know, those cutesy baby things and the toddlers walking and things like that. But my favorite story uh, of her was taking her to the church nursery for the first time and to telling them at the nursery to leave this bulky, she had this plastic bib on that she (laughs) always wore because this girl, she was a spitter. She spit up a lot. Uh, well, needless to say, they, it looked uncomfortable to be wearing this bib. Uh, and so they took it off, completely ignored what we were saying. And and then they ended up uh, finding a trail of vomit left everywhere <laughs> that L went. Uh, well, you know, they called us back into the nursery uh, and said, well, maybe you better not come back again until she outgrows this phase. I got kicked out of a nursery. That sounds sounds like it's starting strong. Yes. Well, you know, the funny thing is that's not the last time that you'll be kicked out of places. But I'll tell those stories a little bit <laughs> later. Let's talk about career, though, because I think of kids starting their career when they start school, more or less. It's basically the same thing you're working. It just happens to be in school rather than a job that you're getting paid for. So anyway, Elle started early on that. She was young and she was strong at this stage. The interesting thing was we had a friend, Miss Rufran, who did her PhD dissertation on young child learning ability. And her premise was that the brain synapses of a two and three-year-old are perfectly designed to learn language including to read at that very early age. So right off the bat, Elle was the guinea pig for her for her, her uh, dissertation here. Miss Rufran, she kind of saw the intelligence uh, of Elle and this precocious little girl, she took a liking uh, to her. So <laughs> she, she brought Elle in once a week to train her and I would sit in and listen so that I could then go home and do homework with her. And Elle was reading proficiently by age three here. Uh, Pretty amazing. Uh, But because she was already able to read, why did she even need to go to school? Uh, So Elle was already reading at a second grade level at kindergarten. So we decided to send her to a a local Spanish immersion program, figuring that, well, she already knew how to read in English. uh, Why not learn another language? And so the teachers only spoke in Spanish there to her. So she completely naturally learned this second language. And they do say that learning a second language expands those synapses even further. And I'm wondering if maybe that's why Elle is so darn smart. I don't know if smart is the word. I'd say resourceful is more the word there, but to each their own, whatever your perspective. All all I know is that she didn't get that intelligence from her dad. Whatever. (laughs) 
uh, anyway, I kind of want to talk about this elementary school adventure. Eh? There was some good and there was some bad and there was some unexpected in here. Elle was a dreamer from the get-go and definitely a risk taker, eh? which is probably why she got this entrepreneurial bug eh, from a very early age. You know, and I think she started off wanting to change the world here and I think that's what she's going to do with the Power Adulting podcast. You know, the, the thing was, she was out selling stuff from an early, I don't remember exactly what the age was. I'm thinking around seven uh, or maybe even earlier than that. She found uh, this backgammon board out in the trash or, or somebody was throwing it away. Uh, it, was, it was in a ravine. It was in a ravine. Okay. Yeah, well, there you go. Well, uh, anyway, she went out and resourcefully sold that puppy for $20. Uh, and, you know, probably those boards probably don't cost more than $20. So I don't know how she managed to persuade somebody to buy a used beat up backgammon board. For, Maybe for- they felt bad for me. I'm not sure. But as a six, seven year old, however old I was, I was very excited about $20. <laughs> I bet. I can't imagine what you ended up doing with it. Probably spent it on food, to be honest. But, uh, you know, who knows? <laughs> candy or something. Well, there's a project even better than that that we now refer to as the Bamboo Project. Elle got the whole crew of kids in the neighborhood to gathering bamboo from down in that ravine, actually. They spent a lot of time down there. And they made these handmade, these cute little crosses. And and then they sold them to the neighbor for I don't know how much, but they all split the profits. And there was Elle in charge, counting up the money, selling the crosses. And Elle was probably also praying for, or at least that was part of the deal probably, is we'll pray for you if you buy these for five bucks. I don't know what she was selling them for. Right? That was just a great example of what the ingenuity can do. But there were also failures for this dreamer. I remember her cockamamie idea to do food delivery here by flying down to McDonald's, which was probably about a half a mile away uh, down the hill past the high school and and bring the food back up the hill. Well, you can probably imagine that was was an epic fail for this dreamer. It was great in theory, but in um, actual practice, not so much. Yeah, she got her friend Jeremy I to try and bounce off the trampoline with some wings on and fly. <laughs> it was trash bags that we duct taped to like <laughs> sticks and we made him a hang glider so he could glide down to McDonald's. Didn't work so well, but gotta try, right? Yeah, Elle says she's the guinea pig, but the reality is she lets some other uh, pet <laughs> be the guinea pig uh, in this scenario here. Well, Elle later, uh, she grew older, did these crazy things. She once was searching in our attic and found these uh, step, uh, these step Reebok boxes that we had from our health club uh, years ago. They were up in the attic, kids hanging around. Uh, and so she was old enough to think, wow, man, I could sell these things. I think you were selling them on Craigslist or something like that, weren't you? 
back when Craigslist was newer and more popular, I believe so. Yeah, you sold dozens of these things, and I think most of them you sold for more than 50 bucks each, weren't you? Or Oh, I can't remember the actual price, but I was selling them in bulk, I remember, to people I tried to reach out to a gym to have them buy it. I'm not even sure, but yeah, that was a, a stepping stone there, trying to get money any way I could. You, you sold a dozen of them, or at least a dozen, and I think that was great as far as you learned what worked, what didn't work, the art of marketing, negotiating, all of that stuff. So I was, uh, they were funny, but I was proud of you and what you were doing there. Well, about that time, uh, Al, uh, some dark clouds uh, kind of uh, fell over our family with some illness. My wife uh, and Elle's mother uh, was diagnosed at that time with an aggressive geoblastoma brain tumor. And we just went through, well, my wife uh, went through this horrific time. And uh, I spent all this time in the hospital feeling almost useless because it was nine different surgeries. Uh, and we just couldn't stem the inevitable. And uh, three months later, Elle's mother was gone. Hmm. And this little girl's life, you know, was dramatically changed at age, at age eight. And at that age, you don't really comprehend what's going on either. I know you, you dealt with the brunt of it being a capable adult, whereas us young kids didn't. It was just mom's gone. She's in the hospital. She's sick. And then there was, it always, it always happens. At least it happened for us where there's that glimmer of hope where, oh, things are turning up, things are getting better, and then they just plunge really deep and you end up dealing with grief and loss. And it's a very long, grueling process. Yeah. And you said something in that as far as the capable adult. And I really... You know, don't think that I was uh, the capable adult. I couldn't uh, couldn't handle the you know the mother role and the father role, and so there were tough times uh, for all of us. And I know that I can't really explain the the devastation uh, that happened in your mind, uh, Al. Uh, but I could certainly see the effect. You know, the loss of your mother. She was your hero, and it just kind of seemed that it was a fifteen year roller coaster kind of struggle of just trying to make sense of it all, uh, I guess. And I don't know what was going on in your head, but it seemed on the outside that there were these outside risky behaviors uh, that were just, I don't know if they were a way of getting attention. Uh, I hope I wasn't the kind of dad that didn't give you attention, but it was just leading you down some negative self-destructive paths. Uh, and I think and that, was, that was it there, is it was was just self-destructive because I, I kind of had a death wish, not in the sense that I was suicidal or anything like that, but I just felt like might as well live for today and live it impulsively the way that I immediately think I should live it. And in the long run, you realize, and when you grow up and mature, you realize that's not the best way to be handling these different negative situations. But when you're a young teenager dealing with hormonal changes and everything else that's going in your body, the, the trying to conform, trying to find your place in the world. It's a really dark and gloomy 
place. And I feel like the support, as much as I feel like I did have a lot of support internally, you need to want support for that support to do anything. And so where I was at in my life, I just didn't want it. It was, it was a pity party for myself in a sense. Not that I was intentionally trying to get pity from anyone, but it was me throwing myself my own pity party. And I was like, why not? Why not just do what I want to do and hurt everybody in the process? Because I'm already hurt and broken. Other people should feel the same way as I do. And that's a horrible way to think. But I think that's kind of in a general sense where my mind was at. And that death wish was probably, you know, worst case scenario, uh, or maybe best case scenario, you you know, you're with your mom in heaven. I I think that was crossed my mind many a time. And I wasn't fearful of death, but I was more, let's just enjoy, or I don't know if enjoy is the right word. Let's just do what I want and whatever will happen will happen. And the worst case scenario isn't really the worst for me in, in the long run. So not the best way to handle grief, everyone please, please reach out for help because help is there and people want to help you and you need to want the help though, unfortunately, or else you're just going to be digging yourself deeper and deeper. And it's a really dark hole to try and get back out of. Yeah, I could see that internal conflict going on on the inside. And, you know, I think we could all see the outside effects Mm -hmm. as well. The weight gain, the confidence issues, the the fact resorting to substances for as a means of coping with the internal conflict that was happening. Yeah. Yeah. And as you said earlier, that's not the right way of coping with it. As you've learned, there are much better ways that just takes you down a path that's so self-destructive as far as that goes. So, I 100% agree. Well, I desperately tried to hold things together uh, in that I could handle the father role, but that mother role, uh, I just couldn't do it. And the he definitely pressure. didn't plan for that role either. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And as a result, I, f- I failed. And that's when, I don't know if it's the worst case scenario, but I don't know how it gets much worse. Uh, death struck again for Elle. Her one remaining parental figure or pillar or, or whatever you call it on this house of cards and tumbling down. I had been suffering from some troubling symptoms for a while and they accelerated during a vigorous tennis match that I had with one of my good friends where I felt pain in my arm. I, I should have known better, but didn't go to the doctor and just tried to, you know, get in the jacuzzi and relieve the, the back pain that was happening and so on. I just thought it was tight muscles. Well, Shortly after that, the big one hit. Uh, When I was out in the jacuzzi trying to massage my back, which I should have known was more than just a a muscle spasm there, it was my heart contracting because there wasn't blood flowing to the heart. Anyway, I was outside in the jacuzzi, barely made it. I don't even remember if I crawled in or walked in, but I remember getting to where the phone was uh, and trying to call. Uh, and I don't know if I could even, I think I fell to the floor. 
I remember the way I remember the story is you were out in the jacuzzi yeah. and I had come out from your room going out towards the garage. I think I st- yelled for you to call for a friend. I think that's Yes. It. You had me call for a friend and there was a phone in our garage. And so I went in and called the friend and she said she'd be over shortly. And I came back out to the jacuzzi, which was not even five feet away, but it was a wall was dividing where the phone was and where you were in the jacuzzi and you were gone. You weren't you weren't in the jacuzzi. And so I was like, what? What is happening? And so then I ran inside and found you face first on your bedroom floor with my little brother who was six or seven at the time. I had, yeah, I think six or seven. He was walking on your back and you were you immediately said, call 911. And I had to go into a different fo- phone in a different room, call 911 and remain calm while the paramedics were brought to the house and they came through the back door with it was within five minutes that they arrived because thankfully there was a police station right up the hill and they came in through the back door and they were like stay on the floor sir stay on the floor and you of course not a very strong-willed person not going to listen to anybody stands your happy self up and walks over to the gurney and not even five minutes later as they're rolling you out from the backyard to the ambulance you flatlined in our driveway yeah, I yeah. I don't remember the flatlining. I do remember your brother, by the way, was five uh, at that time. Okay. I remember him walking on my back. I, I asked him to do it to relieve the pain uh, it, it, somehow. And I remember he not know he'd be totally oblivious to it. Ooh, ah, fun. <laughs> <laughs> and then I think uh, uh, I don't remember anything else. I don't remember. I kind of remember the gurney, but I don't remember trying to get up uh, and get on uh, the gurney. But uh, and I don't remember. I don't remember dying either. Uh, so mm-hmm. I. I remember the friend who had come over at that time said that you and she were out there by the ambulance, and that's when the uh, the paramedic said, uh, you better call the next of kin because he probably won't make it. I, I do remember that. Yeah. That was a very, even more scary time, having gone through losing a parent already and understanding the reality of what loss was, than to have the only other parental and figure and just love that you have be crashing and going into that same pit was traumatic for a 10-year-old who is already trying to work through whatever understanding of grief I had to have that thrown in again. I mean, when it rains, it pours, right? Right. So you're right. I'm, I was thinking Andrew was five when your mom died. Your brother, uh, he was seven when uh, I had the heart attack. Uh, okay. So you're right there. Uh, my mistake. And you were 10 uh, at that time. Uh, and I, of course, didn't know this at the time, uh, but your emergency call to the uh, 911 was, uh, I think they're, they're all recorded. Uh, and you were so calm in your description of how, I think this was before we had smartphones and you could get a GPS location now. Yes, yes. So they had to ask you where you were and what your address was, how to get here, how to get in the house and Mm -hmm. so on. This was all recorded and your calmness just amazed the person on the other end of the phone. Mm -hmm. 
And she passed, I don't remember, it was, I don't know if it was a she or a he, but I they, believe it was a she. I think I remember that, but I'm not 100% sure. Whoever they were passed that along to the mayor about this mm. heroic 10 year old doing this to, to save her dad's life. And, uh, you know, the mayor later gave you uh, an award for her heroism, for being a hero and saving mm-hmm. me, and a big write-up uh, in the newspaper uh, about you guys hugging me in the hospital uh, after uh, I had recovered weeks weeks later. After they, I think they put me in a coma for a week or something like that. Yeah, you were in a coma for two weeks. I remember because I, I had to go to side note. I had to go to boot camp while you were in your coma, and so I was a a grumpy child in. <laughs> boot camp while her father was um, in a medically induced coma in a hospital bed. It was glorious. <laughs> Nothing against the uh, the Marines, but that was a youth boot camp for the Marines. And then thinking whether your dad would be there uh, when you got back or not. What uh, an experience. Yes. Well, I just need to thank you and your brother, Andrew, for saving dear old dad's life. We do it a hundred times over, no questions asked, you know? And it's been another 15 plus years that I'm just so thankful that I've had this time with you guys. Well, they they transported me to the hospital and, uh, you know, you can imagine the frightening thoughts that were going on there. Uh, but that kind of finishes the story. And my doctor had said when you die like that, that oftentimes there's brain loss because there's... There's no air getting to the brain, and maybe that's my problem now. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> no, there hasn't been any, any issues uh, there. So we just thank the good Lord that kept me around to see my children grow up. We know this is a tough place to leave you hanging, but part two gets into the difficult and often dark times of Elle's teenage years. So we wanted to end today on a positive note of her calm courage in the face of adversity. Subscribe to the Power Adulting Podcast and get next week's show first thing on Thursday morning. You won't want to miss Elle's turbulent yet fun and valuable journey through her teen years. Until next week, best. Better your best you, everyone. Wait, many of you are in the 20 to 30-year-old age range, or you know someone who is just starting out and finds that it's freaking hard transitioning into the real world. I mean, many of our clients come to us with questions like, how do I find the structure I used to have in school? How do other people figure all this adulting stuff out? When will the pain of all these problems go away? Is there a simple way to set up my finances? What things should I prioritize for a better future? Whoa! Life is tough. Well, let me tell you, you are not alone. Elle and I have worked with hundreds of people in the same boat, and we've solved the problem with a coaching formula that feels like Superman to the rescue. Here's the scoop. You missed enrollment for our recent eight-week online journey that takes 20 to 30-year-old changemakers from stuck in the muck to purpose-driven confidence, even if you have no time and 
and life feels way out of control right now. Yes, this opportunity is gone, but you can get ready for the next session and reserve a seat because these spots are limited. Go to poweradulting.com slash coaching to learn more and text us from that info page and we'll text you right back to answer all your questions. Again, check us out at poweradulting.com slash coaching. See you there. This is the Power Adulting Podcast, where we are hunting down the experiences, struggles, and golden nuggets of wisdom from our helpful guests. Stay tuned for an exciting weekly adventure that uncovers practical tips, tools, and tactics to get you from stuck in the muck to smashing your way through life's toughest roadblocks.